You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. So you know what time that is, or you know what that means. Either one, you know. Um, <laughs> it's that time of the week where I put makeup on. <laughs> yes, and that time of the week where I kind of fumble through the opening. Yes. All right, welcome to All the Things. This is All the Things, the show where we talk about all things related to God, life, and the Bible. I am still Monique Dusan. The real Monique D. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And this is a show where we discuss culturally relevant topics in light of the historic Historic worldview christian worldview and we are glad to be here and i'm gonna beat you to the punch this week oh oh, first we got some house cleaning so helping us on the show is the one and only bob bontrager (laughs) professional button pusher and there's abby in the background yes living her best life and we want to also let you know about our family uh, sponsor, our family clothing shop. Yes, hello, check it out. Wait, um, um, you know. There we go. Yes, okay, you have to take away my lower third so that you can get the, yes. There, yes, okay, let me go this way. I'm a little backwards. There's okay, one so, of our designs. Yes, this is one of the, the t-shirt designs. Um, I love this one, although I was just thinking that the flat line, oh, it's over here, the flat line, before the cross, so you were dead before the cross, and then the cross and Jesus make you come alive. But I was dead. Yes, it's on this side. Um, but I feel like my flat line should be like a a loop de loo. I was in some things, so it's not like I was just like over here just laying down chilling. No, mine was like a roller coaster. It, was a mess. it had like a little spinning wheel. Something, and then then Jesus uh, got then a hold of Jesus. You. He snatched me up. Yes, <laughs> and and I was able to have regular sinus rhythm. That's yes. there it is. Yeah. I think it's called sinus rhythm. I saw that on Grey's Anatomy. Oh, wow. (laughs) Medical school. Yes, yes. All right, so our Family 210 clothing is up here. We got a lot of designs in the shop, so it's a great way to help support the show and help us with some expenses and uh, feed hungry children in our home. Yes. Or hungry adults. I don't, even one, I'm not partial. But yes, keeping the lights on are, is really important. Hey, I did a, a check-in. I wrote out there and I was like, hey, um, check-in, where are you from? And I see Laura from Dallas, Hannah from St. Pete, and Robin. But Robin, I don't know where you're from. Okay, so, and Robin knows me. So she goes, Chantal. Oh, she knows your government, government I know she's calling me by my government name. <laughs> so that must mean it's like Robin from, like, yeah, I think I know which Robin this is. But I'm not going to put your city out there just in case you don't want people to know. Oh, good. Um, she's tuning in to hear our comments on the movie. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Yes. I am 100%. Well, like 99% that I know which Robin this is. Okay. Yes. And hi, Robin. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yes, so, so good to so have you. So, this week, we did something big. We did big things. Well, I, right? I went to work. <laughs> I don't know. So, <laughs> Some of the setups, Monique doesn't read the cue sheets that are <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, see? there. Oh, yes, Robin from the Valley. Yes, I know. Yes, Robin and I go way back. Yes. Okay, so this week, we did something really big. OMG. We went and talked at Biola University at the Ratio Christie 
meeting. Um, meeting. There yes, we are. That's me in the background looking like a stalker. Um, we our name of our talk was called the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening. Why don't you tell everyone what Ratio Christie is first? Sure. Yeah, it's a campus ministry organization, kind of like Campus Crusade or InterVarsity, but it really has a focus on um, doing outreach at secular universities to try to introduce people to Christianity, but using apologetics as a way of doing that and people coming together to have discussions about life's big worldview questions. Now, this group at Biola um, is pretty much all Christians, uh, so the angle is a little different. Mm -hmm. We did this talk as kind of a crash course on critical race theory and talking about how it's coming into the church. Yeah. And so this group was a group of mostly um, Talbot people, actually seminary people, really good group, lots of great questions. People lingered a long time after the talk. That's awesome. And it was really our first time to try to do a formal talk together. We've done a lot of these like informal videos, but we've been working for months on developing this talk together that we can kind of team teach. Mm -hmm. And our friend Jane Pantig that we had on the show a while back is the the lead for this group. And so she invited us to come and kind of do a warm up presentation. So we took it's turns a warm up to to the Women in Apologetics conference that's yes. coming in January, where we're going to be doing one of the breakout sessions, uh, January 24th and 25th. So be sure to catch that. Now's the best time to sign up for the Women in Apologetics conference because it's the cheapest price. And I promise you, you will not forget, you will not regret uh, coming because you're going to get some amazing information here from some great women speakers. Men are welcome. It's not just a women's conference. It's just that all the speakers are women. But it, it's just going to be a great time with a lot of really important information to help equip and train people to talk about our faith in the middle of a hostile culture. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening. And so... And then last week... Last week. Okay, so kind of wrapped, wrapped up talking about on what happened on yeah. Monday. But before that... Um, our last week's show, we talked about Kanye. Oh, yes. And the Kanye controversy. Yeah. And Beth Moore and the John MacArthur situation. That, 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 uh, that's not Beth Moore, right? No, that, that, that's not <laughs> Beth Moore. That would be Kanye. Kanye, okay. I can get these people mixed up. So. Yes. It, it is easy to get Kanye and John MacArthur mixed up. <laughs> not, so, not really. so that, but that is Kanye. Um, we had a good conversation about about the many angles of his conversion and yeah. maybe we should try to go check out his uh Sunday service his Sunday service well, you know I will see what happens uh, they were talking about it at the Rosh Christie meeting closed on Sunday you my Chick-fil-A oh that's <laughs> you know content. I know copyright content I will, I will stop now but that it makes me think of Chick-fil-A in a whole new way so you go, you go check out our show from last week we also had a little segment about how to choose a children's bible I do get that question from time to time. So yes. That was good. All right. Let's talk about today's show. All right. Let's do the what quick. What are we doing today? Well, the quick rundown on the show is we're going to talk about the Harriet movie. Yes. We went last night to see the new Harriet Tubman movie. Yes. And it was us and like four people. Yes. In the I don't even know. I was like, wait. It's not yeah. good. No. So, uh, so and one of the guys I think was the cleaner and he was just standing off to the side for the majority of the Yes. <laughs> I don't even know so, what happened. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about Paula White joining the White House staff this week and um, 
kind of a few thoughts about that. I did a post on Facebook about it to get people's reactions. Uh, We're going to talk about, you know, speaking of the nation's capital, we're going to talk about a group of former LGBT people who have found Christ and freedom and transformation in Christ who went to the Capitol last week to talk about them as a minority um, group of people and some of their concerns and trying to highlight those to our representatives in the government. So we're going to talk about that. And then our tweet of the week is going to be our old friend, Eric Mason. Yes. The woke church author. He's a leading advocate for critical race theory coming into the church this week. He called Dr. James White, who's a very prominent Christian apologist, a racist on Twitter. So we'll that time. try to break that down and try to understand what, what, what happened is happening. Yes. What in the woke movement is happening? <laughs> right. Yes. All right. So we want to hear from everyone. Join in the, the conversation on our chat box. And our friend Cynthia Hampton is watching. So glad to see everyone. And Bob will try to help us uh, monitor the, the comments on Facebook as well. Because it's a little clunky for uh, Monique and I to get over to Facebook. But we'll try to get your Facebook comments in too. So... We're glad to have everybody on board. Wallen. Okay, great. I think that's Rhyme His Songs on uh, YouTube. Uh, Yes. So, all right, let's get into it. Let's talk about the Harriet movie. Okay, so Harriet. So Harriet Tubman. Woo, Harriet. Harriet was, it was deep. It was was good. Yeah. I thought it was good. I'm going to just come out the gate. And I know there's a lot of, a lot of controversy surrounding that the woman who played Harriet yeah. around some of the characters in the movie. Yeah, we'll we'll get into but, all yeah. of that. But let's first set the, the stage of Harriet Tubman. She's this amazing American icon. I would call her a Christian hero. Um, they, in fact, she's so um, important, I think, in Christian history and American history. They've even thought about putting her likeness on the $20 bill. I say yes. And uh, this is one of the illustrations from the Department of the Treasury of proposed designs for the $20 bill. I think that would be cool. It's a little bit um, languishing right now. It's hard for me to tell like what the real reasons are for the languishing, but hopefully that doesn't die. I want to get behind that. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that would be a a great thing to honor her in that way because she's just such a unique figure in, in American history. So, I was doing some research on um, this uh, kind of biopic on Harriet Tubman. There haven't been a ton of movies made about her life. And I think the last one I I saw that had been in the 70s with Cicely Tyson. Um, It was like a made-for-TV movie or something. Oh, Auntie Cicely. (laughs) So she is everybody's auntie. You know, it was was good. Uh, We're going to play a few uh, moments of the the trailer here so people can kind of get a feel for what the movie was was like so bob's gonna cue that up here we go there's not much time you got to be miles away from here for dawn where is she follow that north star if there are no stars just follow the river listen for them fear is your enemy whoa easy now I'm gonna be free or die. I don't know if you know how extraordinary this is, but you have made it 100 miles to freedom all by yourself. 
Would you like to pick a new name to mark your freedom? Harriet Tubman. You are welcome here anytime. Okay, so that gives you a little feel for it. I don't want to play the whole trailer. I made up my mind. I'm going back. Hasn't seen seen the film yet, but um, it's it's a great film. Still playing in the background, but that's all right. That's okay. Uh, But I thought it was incredibly well acted. Um, It was not like some sort of cheesy Christian film. It was a Hollywood legitimate. Mm -hmm. Film was well acted. I felt well produced. The cinematography was amazing. Um, overall, I thought from a production standpoint, it was great. I tried to do some research into the historical accuracy for the film. For the most part, it, all the major details of the film were fairly accurate. Um, there's a few things that we'll get into that not not so sure about, but I mean, overall, I liked it. What were your impressions of it? I thought it was really well done. Um, I wasn't sure what we were getting into. I haven't seen many advertisements for it. I've only seen one billboard for it. Yeah, so I don't know how they're I, marketing this yeah. film. It feels like they just got like, you know, not much invested in the marketing. I don't know. I always saw it through. All the money fi- went to making the movie. I have no idea. Or they or the the studio's trying to kill it. I don't know. I just always saw Facebook ads for it. I so. yeah, I haven't seen many Facebook ads for it, but I was really impressed by the acting. Um I enjoyed the the storyline itself. Um I did think that there were some parts where I was like, mm, I don't really know that that would happen like this. But and I'm I don't want to give it away for people who maybe haven't seen the movie, but there are definite parts where I'm I think like, only ten people have seen it, so it's pretty fair. Yeah, that so I'm only gonna say a little bit. Yeah. Um there are there are parts where I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not sure that this would happen like that. Yeah. But I think by and large, her story and her participation in the Underground Railroad was was spot on. Yeah. It, like they didn't take away from that. Um, you know, her putting herself in harm's way and risking life and death to be able to go back and free like almost 800 slaves. Yeah. Was it was it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. It was such a good movie. And I thought that um the portrayal of her in kind of her development, you heard in the uh, trailer, kind of the the title for the show tonight is Live Free or Die. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the main moment in the movie where she, because there it is a bit of a journey. Like in the beginning, she there isn't a ton of backstory about yeah. her at the beginning. And so we don't know a lot, but it wasn't like she was always that confident about running away or being that brave. The movie depicted it as she got more and more confident as they went along and that, that pivotal scene on the bridge where she sort of had that clarifying moment of I'm going to live free or die. Yes. And those were the two options. And freedom was worth like risking death. Yeah. And, you know, risking her life for, for freedom. Yeah. So I thought that was just a great moment because you didn't know what she was going to choose. No. So and yeah, you didn't know if it was gonna be a really short movie. <laughs> what was gonna happen? Yeah, but um. So the film, yeah, though, is I like you said, really is not without its controversy. 
I'm so glad we didn't read any reviews before we before we went. I went thinking, oh wow, everybody's gonna love this movie, and then I came home and was like, womp womp. Yeah, not. yeah, yeah. So I think, uh, and I think that that is depicted by how many people were in the theater too. Yeah, it feels like the movie is sort of being shunned. So that's why we thought maybe it'd be good to talk about it. Um, but help us understand after doing some research about why some black people are so upset about this film. Well, I think first of all, the woman who plays Harriet, um, she's a British actress and has- Cynthia Erivo. Okay. Has had some, or has made some controversial statements about black Americans. I am not sure what those statements are. I will be honest. Um, these are just things that I've seen. I'm like, oh, okay. So there's that angle. The, the most I um, could find was that she, after she, it was announced that she had the part, that she made some comments about having to use a ghetto accent um, because she was going to be portraying an African-American. And African-Americans took exception to that characterization of, of their culture. And... I I think that there's even though she's she's British, she doesn't come from a slave background was also a point of contention for some people. She's yeah. from Nigerian parents and who seem to immigrate to to England. Mm-hmm. And so she's kind of seen as I felt like from what I read is not authentic to the to part. To the experience. Yeah. yeah. To the part. Yeah. That makes sense i guess somewhat like i guess if to me if you're acting i don't know that your lineage needs to necessarily match up for me um comments about like black americans having a ghetto accent and things like that yeah you know i kind of would want to shun her too i'm just gonna go ahead and be honest though the lord is still working with me i will be honest okay pray for me somebody but um yeah. That doesn't take away, though, from the level of acting she did. The I strength of the was, performance. I thought it was still very, very well acted. And she's been um, on Broadway. She's won a Tony and a Grammy. And she does this major song on the soundtrack. I mean, she... And, though, but if you have a problem with our accents, you shouldn't go out for our roles. That is kind of, you know, like, if it's such a huge thing for you, now I have to make this ghetto, then why would you audition for it in the first place that is kind of where my my i think it was just <laughs> more of a joke but i mean just try to give her the benefit of the doubt yeah we can but, give her the benefit yeah. of the doubt by all means you know and say maybe she was just playing but i guess my my initial thought is if she was serious then why even go for it yeah you no, know I, I felt like from and it was hard for me to really track down but it seemed like it was just an offhanded joke about landing an american part but it was so offensive to many blacks. I find it very offensive. That when you went on YouTube, like they were just shunning the movie mm-hmm. because of that. And um, so that was kind of a, an issue. There was another issue that you kind of picked up on and it blew right past me. But yes. some other YouTube the, commenters said this as well. The was, idea that the slave, her slave owner... The, the son, the, sl- the slave owner's son, and her could have possibly had a love interest or a love, you know, a yeah. love situation going on there. And I was like, you know, I don't know that you, that's really a thing. You it could be you, a stretch. I would feel more like 
the son could take her or use her, but for there to be some kind of mutual, I fell in love with my slave owner's son, I don't really know about that. And But, I mean, there were two highlighted points to me, two to three, in the movie where I was like, Oh, they're they're portraying that this was a possible love interest. But it was point. to me, it was so subtle. I completely missed it, and you picked up on it. You know, we were discussing it this morning, but boy, I sure didn't pick up on that. But there were some comments about it on YouTube, and so maybe there was just it blew right past me. It didn't seem like it was overt in the dialogue, but you felt like it was a little more overt than I did. But yeah. I, I did not pick up on it at all. It wasn't a well-developed part of the script, I would say. It was developed enough to be seen. I surely <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. I, I must be here, here we go. Um, yeah. And again, like, I just, I don't know that, that the thought that if this wasn't the South, they yeah. possibly would have had something yeah. was needed in the movie or really even a real thing during that time. Like I said, I feel like during that time, if he wanted her, he would have taken her. So the um, our friend uh, Rhyme His Songs it says that about the actress roles, it's like the guy in Joker who was cast in Mary Magdalene as Jesus. He may not be a believer, but he did a great job in the film. And I was thinking about that too, similar to some years ago, Chad Allen, who used to be on um, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. And he's, he's, a, he's a gay actor, but he was cast in the movie, uh, The End of the Spear about um, the story of the young missionaries down in Ecuador in the 50s who got killed by the Indians. Mm. And, um, you know, it was an evangelical movie and and he was playing the role of an evangelical Christian. Well, a lot of Christians boycotted the movie because of Chad Allen being gay. I thought that was, frankly, a little petty, but uh, I went and saw the movie anyways. I thought he did a fine job and he was very respectful about the role. So, you know, that does happen, you know, that we don't always cast people in the right way, you know, according to their own personal beliefs. That's why we call it acting. Mm-hmm. So you could make that kind of counter argument to the, to the thing, but that's, Oh, you're not buying that. She's not buying no. You need to get that no. look because she's not buying what I'm selling there. All right. No. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. Um, let's see what else. All right. About the movie. Oh, Robin um, says she likes your shirt. Uh, said she was like my shirt, the actress. Oh, that. Um, she was flatlined. She flatlined, and boom, she had a moment on the bridge, and she found her purpose. <laughs> I'm telling you, this shirt can mean many things. All right. Um, but okay. Uh, uh, let's see another thing about the movie. Oh, I wanted to say um, something about the black, how black men were portrayed, because that was something a couple of our commenters last night mm-hmm. asked about. How did you feel like black men were portrayed in the film, like negatively, positively? I thought it was an accurate depiction of both. So you see some men who are helping to free the slaves, some black men who are, you know, in the North help working to free the slaves. You have some black men who are working to make sure that slaves never get free. Bounty hunters. Yeah. I don't really agree with the term bounty hunter or with that whole, with the whole (laughs) idea that, that black men at that time were bounty hunters no, like if anything, they were an overseer on overseer. the plantation and were working for the master. So you felt so, like there was a, a role in the film where there was a black bounty hunter. You you thought it would have been more accurate to have him kind of be the overseer 
on the plantation. Yeah. And that he was kind of in charge of keeping the slaves in line. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the parts of the film that was more fictional was that character. There was, there is no character. I, I saw many black YouTuber comments to the effect of that was very offensive to them that there was a black bounty hunter in the film and that he had such a con uh, peculiar name. They said it sounds like a porn star name. Oh, and I don't even remember his name. Biggie Long. That's hilarious. <laughs> and they That's... were they were very upset about it. And that it was purposeful to make black men look very stupid. And this was no, this was a comment, I, and I so. didn't I didn't get that he was by any means stupid. I okay. actually thought that he was trying to work over the white men to be able to get their money. Um, but also, you know, was very selfish and willing to sell his, you know, other black people back into slavery and make yeah. sure that they stayed on the plantation because it was good for him. I didn't, I don't think anyway that at that time, free black people in the South, that whites would be so willing to work with them. And like, hey, you know, now it's just you and me and we're going to, you know, have this bond and relationship more like as much as you're my slave, you belong to me. We're going to go do this. So that would be, in your opinion, more historically likely that the black overseer would help the plantation owner go find runaway slaves because that was just part of their job. I don't even know that that, it, that they would take it that far. Okay. In from what I understand. Okay. Um, they would, you know, oversee the other slaves on the plantation. But if a slave ran away, I couldn't really imagine them being taken off the, the plantation to go now and hunt for the, the people who okay. ran away. That's just, like I said, my understanding. I have a lot that I can learn. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a little... But we're kind but of it wasn't. It we're wasn't, kind of picking on things now because yeah. these are not major points. But it, but even it just it wasn't so big of a deal that it would make the storyline or the movie less credible or less good. Less good. Yeah. 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 So, do you think people should go see this this film? Do you think it's? A, I would say yes. Do you think that people? Any? Um, would you encourage black people to? Black parents to take their kids. Yeah, to the I would film. encourage white parents to take their kids. Well, that too. Like, but I'm I, just saying, I just, do you feel like it could be injurious at all to black kids if to see these portrayals of slavery and that sort of thing? I guess that was more of my question. I guess I feel like black or white, the conversation should be had. This is American history. It's not African-American history. This is the, the history of America. And children need to understand when they get to an appropriate age, like, hey, this is the, the history of America. And Harriet Tubman is African-American history, but she's American history as well. Yeah. And so, like, thinking, oh, well, black kids need to go see this, to me is, no, like, white kids need to go see this. I, like, I totally agree. I everybody I should be seeing this. I completely agree. I think it would make yeah. a great film for homeschoolers to take their kids to, to get on DVD. Because uh, it is. It, I think it's a really great, great way of saying it is it's just it's part of American history. And she's, in, like I said, at the top, she's a great American icon and I think a Christian hero. I think one of my favorite parts of the movie is that um, she she experienced a very bad 
head injury mm-hmm. at the hand of her slave owner. Yeah, as a child, mm-hmm. as a young person, and um, she had uh, sleeping spells. We call it narcolepsy now, where she could just fall asleep really quickly. In the movie, though, they portrayed that as a means of how she would hear from God and that she would ha- experience visions and dreams. And that part of it actually seems fairly historically accurate, that she was very close to God and she did hear his voice. And this was part of how she attributed that. Now, mm-hmm. some people have said like, well, she just had narcolepsy or she had brain damage and have a physical explanation for it. But I actually thought it was kind of nice to see somebody who really heard from God in a meaningful way that helped her in her life. And, and it was portrayed in a positive way, not a weird way, Mm -hmm. not in a like, Oh, that's so strange, which is normally how you see it portrayed on television and in the movies. Yeah. And not faith was very important. Yeah. And it was like you said, portrayed in a way that was respectful and not like, Oh, here's a wacky Christian. Yes. And so I, I appreciate that too. Like she prayed often. I think the, the slave master's son, his name is Gideon. Um, he would make fun of her faith, but no one else, like there was nothing in the movie that would make her be like a, a wacky Christian yeah. or somebody who was, she was portrayed know, extremely yeah. intelligent and respectful. Even though she couldn't read. Yeah. You know? Um, and I would say you would have to have God on your side in order to free nearly 800 slaves. So yeah. <laughs> that's just not, you know, something that people were doing. So let's go to a few more comments here. Uh, your friend Robin said it was a joke. It was tasteless. I think she's referring what? to the the name of the uh, bounty hunter. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I mean, uh-huh. many. Uh, oh, if it was a joke, it was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think that was rather unfortunate. But um, that is, uh, I, I think the question that was out there by many people in the black community was that just seems disrespectful, you know, to black men. So. Uh, okay, great. We'll go to that. Let's finish up with Annette. She hasn't seen it. I saw someone say it wasn't well done and that Harriet deserves a better movie to tell her story. I've seen many comments to that effect, Annette. I don't agree. I thought it was extremely well done. Very worth seeing. Oftentimes I see movies and I think like, I really want that three hours of my life back. I did not feel that way after going to Harriet. I, I felt like it was, it was well done and well acted. Okay. Um, even our teenager liked it. Yes. So, um, and she's not big on historical biopic type of thing. She more is into fantasy. So, but even she enjoyed it. All right. Let's see. Um, Rhyme His Song says, oh, wow. Now I want to see it. So many vets suffer, suffer epilepsy and need to have the shame of that health condition dealt with. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will have to say, I say yes. If you have not seen it, go see it, support it. It is good. Yeah, go find um, it soon because I don't know how long it's going to be in the theater, but right, it's only been out for a week. Yeah, but yeah, but it, I've heard nothing about it. Yeah. Um, I think the other the other take on it is that um that it's not woke enough. Oh, there's there's that situation. Um, and I would say I don't know how much more woke it would need to be. The woman was a slave. She ran over a hundred miles by herself. 
decided to think on her own and then come back and and free nearly 800 slaves 750 yeah. i think it was was the final number yeah and like some that. of those were like even during the civil war yeah she, she helped, was used as a spy during she was the civil used as, war and she helped continue to free people mm-hmm. even during the civil war and it was just an amazing yeah. story so so i don't know if, yeah. if people are saying that that movie is not woke and, and that's and a reason to needs, shun it. Yeah, it needs to be more woke. I just say you have to do your history. You have to do your homework because just Harriet Tubman by herself. Yeah, I, is, but a lot like, of people... She just, she is an icon for for freedom. But and a lot of those people say you're a coon for even liking the film. That's true. You that's know, true. That if and, white, I saw many comments to this effect. If a white person likes the film, then black people should definitely not like the film. Many comments to that effect. And the only black people that would like it are coons. That's unfortunate. And I have, I feel like I deliberately didn't go and look for all those things. Yeah. We time. just went in into a blind just, of like, yeah. we didn't read any reviews. We just went in and enjoyed it. It was good. Yeah. I, I, well, Annette, if it's only at your least favorite theater, I still say go. It's really good. Um, you know, if, if people will, trivialize to me because it's trivial to to make a movie um quote unquote woke yeah. or to shun it based on something like that i i have my heart just goes out to people because i'm just like you know you're missing something yeah. this woman worked hard and risked her life for many many people and yeah. there's there's nothing more there it needs no explanation and it wasn't that, overly violent or gory I kind of was nervous going into it. Like, are they going to have like a, a lot of slave beating or raping nope. scenes? But it wasn't like that mm-hmm. at all. It was very tasteful. Yeah. So. Very tasteful. All right. All right. Well, let's uh, switch gears see here. See the movie. Yes, yes. See the movie. Go. It's important though to to patronize movies that are good because there's so many movies that are not good. And that's how we can speak to people is with our dollars. And so we want to. Um, when a decent movie comes along, it's good to go spend your money. So Robin said, if someone escaped, the black overseer would be punished. So he worked against his own interests. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Should we uh, change gears? Let's do it. All right. We're going to talk now about the big news this week. More big news. I can't even. I don't know. Paula White is now a paid White House staffer. I don't even know what to say or do about this. I blame the entire state of Florida. Okay, we're going to get into it. I just don't know. So, Why don't you tell us who Paula White is? This yeah, because... get it. Well, here's what went viral this week. So this is what our culture thinks yeah. about Paula White. Because after it was announced um, that she was now going to be a White House staffer, she's been a longtime advisor to the Trumps. She prayed at the inauguration. I don't know. You were out of the country. You might not yeah. even know that. Nope. Um, but now she's on White House staff. And then this video went viral. Wherever I go, God rules. When I walk on White House grounds, God walks on White House grounds. I had every right and authority to declare the White House as holy ground because I was standing there and where I stand is holy. To say no to President Trump would be saying no to God. 
and therefore, and I won't do that. We are in a spiritual war right now. Let every demonic network that has aligned itself against the purpose, against the calling of President Trump, let it be broken, let it be torn down in the name of Jesus. You want me to tell you what my thoughts are? The thoughts of the King of Kings, the thoughts of the Lord of Lords. I'm downloading heaven. I kind of know I'm a little bit cute, all right? I am Paula, who is pretty. Well, maybe I'm not going to be pretty when I'm 90 years old. Here's this former messed up Mississippi girl lived in a trailer that they called trailer trash. Daddy committed suicide, got pregnant out of wedlock, been married, been divorced, not just once, you know, twice. People go, well, how'd you become the spiritual advisor of the president? We'll get to that later. It's all in there. Michael Jackson, Kid Rock, the president, it's all in there, all right? Thank you, Paula. What a great job you do. The evangelicals. I hear we're more popular than ever with the evangelicals. You're the only one, and she'll tell the truth. She'll only tell the truth. Southern California is looking at, well, there's already law that's passed through the governor that says the Bible is a book. Okay, so it'll it goes on for another couple minutes. Monique had had enough. Yeah, I literally have had enough. I feel like this is your cousin, and so this is somebody in Florida let the auntie loose. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Can you explain this? Can I explain? No, I can't. Um, so apparently, Paula White is now the number one public face of our faith. And that was really why I wanted to talk about this because Billy Graham for decades will go hang out at the white house and be a spiritual advisor to presidents and evangelicals thought that was great. You know, it was, he was well-respected and like, that's good to have a godly influence on such a powerful leader in the world. Paula White, not really in the same category as Billy Graham. Why? Okay, because in here I'm gonna ask this question too. Like, I think I have some some thoughts from outside because I've known about Paula White for years. Yeah, but um, Ryman Song says that video was super edited, and yeah. I think she has changed over the years. Just as my beliefs have since the '90s, I would agree with that. I do think that that video was super edited only to have her crazy talking. Yeah, because obviously. Uh-huh. The purpose of the video, which is from this very liberal news service called Now This, it's designed to make us think that Paula White is, you know, just crazy. And we have a crazy person acting as a spiritual advisor to the president. So because I love people, I used up four hours of my life chasing down clips from the clip show trying to watch them in context to see if the video is accurately portraying her beliefs or not. Mm -hmm. And I would have to say that after doing that, uh, there are several clips recently from the Jim Baker show about two or three weeks ago. And I sat through all, I watched three hours of the Jim Baker show and um, I I can't get those hours of my life back. But I did it because I love our viewers and I want, I knew this question would come up of, you know, like, well, so edited and it is designed to emotionally manipulate. They're playing the hallelujah chorus. They've got these very incendiary clips. There are aspects of the video that I think are a fairly accurate 
if unflattering portrayal of her beliefs. She is a prosperity gospel teacher. She is one of these people who advocates for the idea of giving money to get blessing from mm -hmm. God. That is very accurate. Um, there was a clip that we cut out right before we got to it where she's talking about how there's a treasury in heaven and about storing up treasures in heaven and that God's watching you. Um, this is the Jim Baker show that I watched the whole three hours of it. Um, and that he will, God will reward you with success if you donate more money. Those clips are accurate to what she teaches. It, it, it's not an unfair portrayal. Now, again, it is designed to kind of get your emotions mm -hmm. churning about it, but that's not an unfair thing. This statement that she's making right now, like your dreams will die if you don't donate, you know, you have to sew in this money. That shit's a very common saying that she has. Um, so it's difficult because there are parts of it that are very true. There's other parts of it that I might be somewhat sympathetic to, you know, like, is it good to pray for our president? Is it a good idea for Christian leaders to have influence with our president? Sure. I just don't know if Paula White's like really the the person I want representing our faith. Like, but that's the part of it I think we have to understand is it she is now the public face to the world of what it means to be a Christian. And that's that's rough, I think. So Yeah, I think um when I first found out about Paula White, it was many, many moons ago. Um but I think over time, and maybe I'm just wrong and my views have changed, not necessarily hers, but I didn't see her then as being so much of a prosperity teacher. But now I definitely think that it's like, you need to give this much. And if you don't give this much, then, you know, you're not going to be blessed and your blessings are going to dry up and all of that. And I'm like, that is not Christianity. That is not you know, re reflective of the the God that I serve. Yeah. And then, but there's other parts of it. Like there was a really short clip in there of her praying for the president and praying against the schemes of the enemy. And, and it is true that Paula Wyatt has overcome a lot in her life. And so for that, like, I don't want to completely pan the woman, you mm -hmm. know, like nobody teaches things like that are a hundred percent corrupt, you know, like, there's truth in a lot of places, but the only way we know the truth is because that's what corresponds to scripture. And so I'm sure she has overcome a ton in her life. And I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to minimize that we ought to pray for our president, but we ought to pray for all of our presidents. Yes. Not just the ones that we like. Yes. Or agree with. Or yes. agree with. Mm -hmm. We ought to pray against the schemes of the enemy for every, every. president. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's the part of it that I feel very uncomfortable with is because she is now kind of attaching evangelical theology to Trump. And that part of it makes me feel pretty uncomfortable. And, and you know, I'm a conservative, but, you know, Trump is such a, a div divisive and, and mixed bag, you know, as was our former president. Mm -hmm. And that's the nature of politics. And I'm always trying, kind of trying to find this third way of 
like how can I be a Christian and distinctly Christian and not just yeah. fall into like political power grabs, you know, like the sovereignty of God rules over kings and puts them in place, whether wicked or good. So, <laughs> so it's it's such a it's such a mixed bag, but it it's disturbing to me that she is now in the world's eyes, this clip show is what they know about Paula White and what they think you and I believe. Okay. So then that that naturally makes me have a question of, so now what? This is where we are. As Christians, what is our next step? What's our next move? How do we um, maybe put a lid on on some of what's cooking (laughs) in this pot? Yeah. I think that... uh, um, oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, Bob asked me, who would I like to see as an advisor to the president? That's a, that's a very good question. Maybe somebody like Francis Chan. Oh, yes. Who is extremely thoughtful, um, very global in his perspective, um, but very like sound gospel oriented. Um, he did a chapel service this week that got a lot of traffic on my uh, Theology Mom uh, public page that I thought, man, this guy really understands the age in which we live and, you know, what's happening. I mean, somebody along those lines, mm-hmm. I think that would be really good, you know, to speak truth, but in a loving way and kind of try to be distinctly Christian in their approach. Um Francis Chan used to be a pastor at a mega church and yep. kind of stepped down from that to really work on helping the poor and working with the homeless. And now he and his wife are going to be full-time missionaries in China. They're moving mm-hmm. to China. So, um, you know, he's had best-selling books. He has a big name, but he's not in love with his big name. He's yeah. not in love with his influence or his branding. Somebody more like that. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts of anyone you think would make a better No, advisor? I think Francis Shan would be great. He um, spoke quite a few times when I was at Biola. And um, no, I just, I really like him. I think that's a really good pick. I, yeah, I don't really, I feel like the pickings is slim. <laughs> and maybe that's wrong to say. Maybe. But, um, hmm. Who would you guys say? Like, yeah, if you, could, love... if you could pick, like, man, I got this one person. Yeah, you know, I don't. Who, I would, don't... who would be a good advisor to Maybe the president? I don't. No, no, no. He's he's pretty political. Cousin Franklin, yeah. not cousin Franklin. Okay. Yeah. No. Um. Because I, I don't know, we'll we'll do a show maybe when it gets closer to the Fourth of July about some of our concerns about mixing nationalism with Christianity. Annette said, "Gene Kim." I'm not sure. Who I don't know who is. that is. No, I don't know who that is, and I don't know who Andy Woods is. Mm-mm. I'm gonna have to look these people up. Yes. So, my friend Robin, going back to Harriet, Harriet Tubman, said. Mara was Harriet Tubman in second grade. They picked someone great in American history at a Jewish school. So yes, American history, not just black history. Great discussion. She has the cutest kids. And I am sure that the kids are not kids anymore. (laughs) Mara and Joshi, they used to be this big. And I am sure that they are now, gosh, nearly adults. (laughs) 
nearly adults. We're getting old. No, let's not discuss that. Okay. Okay. All right. So, we ready to change gears? Let's do it. All right. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the changed movement. Okay. I don't know anything about this. Because, and, and I think it was uh, Wendy or uh, Rhyme His Songs. She she knows you pretty well. She was a very good, sharp listener. She knows you don't like surprises. I do not like surprises <laughs> at all. I like to know everything Up in front. advance. That's right. Yes. So this is a surprise segment for Monique. Um, so the Changed Movement is a group of former gays, lesbians, and trans people uh, who have come out of that movement. They found Christ. They've, they've found freedom, transformation. And I am just wanting to highlight them because uh, they're one of their leaders. It's kind of a, it's more of a movement. It's not really a, as from what I understand, as much as a, formal ministry with one person at the helm. It's it's more like a group of leaders from different um, what we might call ex-gay ministries of people who have come out of that lifestyle. And uh, they went to the Capitol last week, since we're talking about places of power in, in our nation. And so I thought this would be a good kind of follow-up segment to the Paula White thing of what other Christians are doing to have a voice. Mm-hmm. In the government, and um, they went to the Capitol last week to speak with lawmakers about some upcoming bills that are before Congress. There's a short clip here I want us to play from uh, CBN News, kind of uh, summarizing what what they're up to. These days, when there's so much talk about gay rights and transgender rights and laws being passed to protect those rights, a whole other minority is getting ignored those who've come out of the gay community. 18 former gays, lesbians, and transgenders stood before the U.S. Capitol to proclaim they're real, despite a culture that denies such transformation is possible. We've experienced a change in our sexual orientation, um, some small, some great. I mean, some of us don't experience same-sex attraction anymore. And yet, everywhere you go, you hear that's utterly impossible. Not for this former homosexual, now father of four. I don't ever get sexually aroused by looking at a man. That hasn't happened in years. But House Bill 3570 says therapy similar to what helped Ken Williams and many of these leave the lifestyle can't do that. It proclaims there is no evidence that conversion therapy is effective or that an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity can be changed by conversion therapy. Williams worries such a bill would forbid the counseling he insists saved his life by calling all of it conversion therapy. At 17 years old, I was suicidal. I started seeing a Christian counselor who I saw weekly for five years. And uh, it changed my I mean, That was the last day I felt suicidal. Pastor Jim Doman says similar counseling helped him go from gay guy to heterosexual husband and dad. But HR 3570 brands such therapy toxic saying it is substantially dangerous to an individual's mental and physical health. Doman, of course, disagrees. These bills would not only prohibit it, it's almost like we'd have to go underground to seek help. And it breaks my heart when you hear the stories of people who've been sexually abused, people who are suicidal, people going through depression and seeking help, or they want to go in a different direction. That would not be, um, be very, very difficult, if not impossible, to do. Many here are Christians who also give God the credit for their radical change. Elizabeth Woning brought a warning for a culture that would reject that power and instead embrace what the Bible says is toxic. We are denying our own biology. We are hating ourselves. We have higher rates of mental illness and suicide. The farther Christianity gets out of the mainstream, the more broken we're becoming in America. 
These folks are saying while laws are being passed to protect people like those in the gay and transgender communities, other people who want to swim against the cultural mainstream will be hurt by those very laws. Paul Strand, CBN News, reporting from Capitol Hill. Okay, so that was CBN's take on it. Surprise, surprise. Yes. So, I don't know. What are your What are your thoughts about that? <sighs> kind of springing it on you. Yeah, kind of springing it on me. I have thought a lot about conversion therapy. Um, I actually have a few friends who have gone through it and have heard that it did more damage than good. That was and could just be their experience. Um, obviously, as you look at, you know, yeah. or listen to other people who said, you know, my experience was completely different. Um, I think taking away, because from what I understand with this bill is that it would be illegal to in any way talk to someone who is struggling with gender identification and things like that. Talk to them in any way that would pose any other option aside from homosexuality. Yeah. And, and I so go ahead. I think that that's one of the concerns. And I think it was really unfortunate the way that the report was put together because it, it I don't think I think it was missing one critical piece of information. And that's what you just highlighted, that what Congress wants to do is make any conversation illegal illegal mm -hmm. and calling it under the umbrella or the branding of conversion therapy. Yes. Now, have there been examples of what is really conversion therapy that have been hostile and harmful to people? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I've heard Ken Williams, the guy that one of the guys they featured in the story straight out say like, that's not what we're about. Yes. And, and see, so that's where things need to really be um, parsed out yeah. and very carefully Wait it through because things that are hostile are never going to be helpful. But to say, you know, I'm questioning my my gender, I'm questioning my identity, and would really like to talk to someone about that, making that illegal is a problem. Yeah, because there are just sorry, there are just many, many I think issues that could be seen with that. Like, yeah, the, the fact that most people in their teen years who struggle with, with gender confusion or gender identification issues, that shifts over time, over the course of time. But having someone to walk alongside you in that conversation would be super helpful. Thinking that that would be illegal for a teenager or a young adult to be able to have someone to walk alongside them really scares me. It also really scares me to think that you can have these hostile conversion groups though that want to pray the gay away for yeah. you know in, in so many in terms a, in, in a, a superficial way yes yeah. and in a way that is belittling and dehumanizing and yeah. things like that and at that point people are just left with brokenness yeah no I, so, I totally agree and I, but i think it would be devastating and do a lot more harm to say that mental health professionals pastors People, clergy would not be able to have those conversations with people. I think that what's important, and I've heard Ken Williams say this too, he, he testified before the state government, I think it was the state Senate a few months ago, where he was saying that his point is that people should have free will, that he doesn't want to abrogate anyone's freedom 
to become gay or live in that lifestyle if that's what they choose. Mm -hmm. But he also doesn't want to abrogate freedom for people to get out of that lifestyle or to try to avoid it. Mm -hmm. And that the free will is, is really what's important. He wants there to be a space for people to explore the Lord and what God can do for them. And some people struggle with same sex attraction for years, but they, but they know this is what the Bible teaches. And I want to live under that authority Mm -hmm. and be in the struggle. All of us have struggles with sin. Um, all of us has different struggles with sin. And they would say that, you know, we want to have people in our lives to help support us with alcohol addiction or drug addiction or porn addiction or any number of struggles that we might have, uh, you know, to have people in our life as voices of transformation and change and care and love and compassion. But we don't want to, people that are responsible in the Christian realm don't want conversion therapy against people's will either. Yeah. And I think that's what the important distinction is. I'm really was kind of bummed when I saw that story by CNN. I'm like, they didn't really make a good distinction here on, on this, on the, this issue and how they defined it. But our government is looking to ban all of these conversations where it would start to just be underground. So and that's that's scary. Yeah. It, and very unfortunate to think that so many people enter into alternative lifestyles because of abuse or, um, you know, horrible things that have happened in their childhood even. And so to me, being able to explore those things, those hard conversations that could possibly lead into gender issues and things like that would be extremely important. I don't know how as a therapist, you would be able to go from one place but not tie in to the other. And then what happens if you do tie into the other? Are you at that point crossing a client boundary? Are you doing something that would be considered immoral? Like, how do you how do you navigate that when you when you're in your therapist's office that is supposed to be your safe space? Yeah. It's such a tough issue, but I wanted to highlight what the people at the Change to Movement are doing. And I wanted to play one more short clip here. Uh, They went to the Capitol building, inside the Capitol building, later that day after Mm. the news conference. And a bunch of them stood there. And one of the founders of another ex-gay ministry uh, just kind of did a little spontaneous song there in the uh, Capitol uh, foyer. So I wanted to just play a little bit from that. There yes. we go. 
Yes, yes, he better sing. Yes, yes, he did do that. Yes, that was good. Um, you know what? One thing though, I I will say, and I know one hundred percent is, it doesn't matter what our government decides to do. I know that our God is greater. I have friends who have walked out of the gay lifestyle, not because of conversion therapy, not because they went to five years of therapy, and not to say that that doesn't help or make a difference, but because of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And so... Get it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, right? Like, I know what is possible through Jesus Christ. And I've seen it. And so it is unfortunate that government wants to have their hands in everything. It's unfortunate that we live in such a fallen world where humanity seeks to reject the God that wants to save them. Yeah. But I still know that rejection and all, when you want him and when you want that change, that change is available and will come. Yeah. So... So many good comments know. happening uh, in the chat box and just about government intrusion and such things. And people love Monique's sermon. <laughs> and I didn't see I didn't uh, have a sermon. Say it louder for the people in the back, Monique. Who said that? H- Hannah Marie. Oh, I missed it. Sorry. It's right here. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. Come on, Hannah. You know. Yes. Uh, Rhyme His Song says, yes, Monique, counselors should not be mandated, mandated. to not offer con- Conversion as a viable option because they only because they know abuse participated in lifestyle choices. Yeah. Okay. So Christy Lockwood said on Facebook. Oh. I wish they would not tie their concerns to conversion therapy. Exactly, and and someday, you know, I think that that is really the the big concern that I had with this whole clip is that it didn't. Even though it was a Christian news outlet, I felt like they still didn't get it right. They they call any conversation about Jesus and what Jesus can do to tra- change your life conversion therapy, and that's really what the government is trying to get rid of. And I I just find that incredibly intrusive. And many of our 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 YouTube commenters are saying the same thing that you know I think that the this issue of sexual ethics is going to become the dividing line in our church mm-hmm. in in our time is where you stand on this issue shows you where you stand in term in in proximity to the historic christian faith and drift and um, we're going to have to make some hard decisions of whether or not we're going to start disobeying government if these types of laws pass mm-hmm. and what ministers of, of the gospel are going to do in response to it and I think there's definitely the potential for Christians to become second and third class citizens to be stripped of their rights mm-hmm. um, yeah. be- because of where we stand on this sexual ethics issue. But the, the misidentification of conversion therapy is a big card that they, they play to villainize Christians. And it's really very unfortunate. Forced conversion therapy, your friend Robin says forced conversion therapy is not good therapy and can help with many fe- good therapy can help people with many feelings but forced therapy no i totally agree yeah that, that's a great uh summary of the of the issue there so okay all right are we ready for one more thing one more i think all we can right, do one, one more. more thing all right more. we've got the tweet of the week that is so lovely. 
on the internet. It must be true. Oh my gosh. Are you crazy? That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, that was the best one yet. That was awesome. Okay, so this week, uh, Eric Mason, the author of Woke Church mm-hmm. and a leader in the critical race theory movement, uh, introducing it into the church. Yes. Been a chapel speaker at Dallas Seminary and many yes. other places. Yes. Uh, called Popular Christian Apologist Dr. James White a Racist. So, yeah. yes, he did. Monique's going to break it all down for us. She's going to tell us all the things about it. All right, well, first, let's look at the tweet. All right, Dr. Oakley1689, uh, which is Dr. James White's uh, Twitter name, makes an interesting commentary about the multi ethnic and particularly black churches. He deems black churches as the most unsound, anti-intellectual, his- history, theologically resistant, etc., in the body of Christ globally. Uh, let's scroll down a little bit because this is a little bit of a string of posts. Um, he basically said that black churches lack pulpit soundness overall. It sounds as if he is saying the black church is the most theologically unsound church in any vineyard of the kingdom. Then he goes on to mention several pastor conferences, uh, black pastor conferences, um, hunger for those who minister in these types of contexts. Of course, there are pockets of unhealthy in the black church, just like others. And I think that tweet is is key because mm-hmm. um, I actually think there's a point of agreement there between him and um, Dr. White. Um so anyways, uh, let's go ahead. Or, or he says, he, um, it's too much out there and ignorant to make racist comments like this. Okay, the final tweet, he says, yes, this is racist. What are your thoughts? Well, we're glad you asked, Eric Mason, because we're going to give you our thoughts. Yeah. So, all right, let's go ahead and play uh, the clip that Eric Mason posted of Dr. James White there. And actually, if we can go to the Twitter version first, Bob, and um, then we'll go to the YouTube version. Yeah, play the, yeah, play, play the actual Twitter version. Churches of whatever ethnic mix, there is an anti-intellectualism, an anti-church history-ism, there is an anti-theology-ism, there is a, um, an anti-Bible uh, translation, Bible transmission-ism, and it, it's seen in the fact that it's almost never addressed, almost never talked about. Um, but it's especially true in black churches. It's just a reality. Uh, the idea of sound doctrine, church history, there are so few churches okay of whatever so there's the clip that eric mason played so um once again because i love our audience so much i spent two hours tracking down the original clip it wasn't easy people these are not easy things the clip comes from a show from july 28th 2016 mm-hmm. And because I want to find the context, and this is a really good tip. When we see something on Twitter, we see a soundbite, just like we did earlier with Paula White. 
before you hit retweet. Before Figure out what you're talking about, folks. Yeah, mm-hmm. don't go into a fight that you can't finish mm-hmm. <laughs> because there was so much more to what was happening in this this clip. But if you, before I get into all of the context, and we will get there, yes, give I've... me your impression of that little snippet that Eric Mason posted and how he arrived at this is a racist comment. I wouldn't necessarily call him James White racist, but I would say it's definitely very biased. I would say that he definitely has some kind of heart issue, I guess, uh, um, against minorities because he says in nearly every minority church um, and the black church especially. And I just, I don't, yeah, I... I take a lot of issue with that. And I feel like as someone who considers himself to be prominent and you consider him to be prominent, I don't know who he is. I honestly, I don't, um, and I don't care. (laughs) I just, yeah, I know. Like, because, and I, I feel like this is what we were talking about a couple weeks ago or last week, whatever. Like when you put something out there and it is so just, it's like, a stake on a trash can lid. I'm like, yeah, even if you're making a great point, the fact that it's just so, ugh, like, I don't care who you, like, I just don't. Like, and I know that that's wrong. I do have to grow in in my, my compassion level. <laughs> I really should. But I'm just like, you know, there was something, if you have a concern about African-Americans and their theology, African-Americans and apologetics, African-Americans and whatever, what are you doing to change that, that mindset. What are you doing to make that shift? How are you stepping into that space and and doing something about it? I see a problem in evangelical churches and the the way that critical race theory is coming after and um like dehumanizing whites. I'm gonna step into that space. He has a problem with with black theology, then he should say something or do something about it. Well, he does speak in black churches on apologetics for with his friends that invite him. So I mean, he is. Trying I don't to know. I, I, he he lost me. Like he lost me. I'm just. I, I have. Well, to you're be asking the question. Okay, what yes, does come he on, do? Come on. You're asking the yes, question. What, what does, does he, he do? do? Yes. And I'm telling you, this is what he does. Okay. So don't be like throwing well, it, it to the it, side. I'm just because just, I'm like I just because you don't like his. I, I have come, come now. I, I don't know because I, I sure ain't seen him at no black church. But you know, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. You don't go to black church Not anymore, Lord. <laughs> I'm going okay. to I'm gonna have to get back in, see if James White is there. <laughs> okay. All right. So, like I said, context, context, context. All right. So, the question of what is the context here? All right. This video from July 28th, 2016, um, was a response to a debate that James White had done, he debates a lot of people, Mm -hmm. a lot. He's extremely um, well-read and very intelligent. Now, look, I am not here to be the apologist for James White. There's things I disagree with him on. He's a Calvinist. I am not. Uh, He's an anti, like, kind of miracles are today. I am not. But he has a lot of good content, too. Like, he's done some great work um, on... um, uh, on Matthew Vines and and progressive theology and kind of refuting some of those errors. Um, so I don't judge people just on, I'm not like a one issue kind of gal, you know, like, well, 
he's a Calvinist, I'm not, so I'm just going to disregard mm-hmm. everything he has to say. So that's not really how I roll. But uh, he had a debate with some black Hebrew Israelites. And for people that don't know what this error is, it's, a, it's an offshoot in the black church of a cult of, these, of a group of people that are siphoning off a, a portion of black youth mm-hmm. that have grown up in the church and have a, a, a mediocre exposure to scripture. They know just enough scripture to get captured into this movement that seems very intellectual that tells them that they are the real Jews. Yes. And it's, it's a very peculiar movement, but it is a problem in the black church. So James White, you're asking, what is he doing mm-hmm. to help the black church? He's debating Hebrew Israelites, trying to help marshal some arguments from the historic Christian faith to um, counteract this problem. That is a particular problem in the black church and in the black community. So anyways, this is a response video that he did. He The, the debate had been a few weeks before and he, he talks about um, what has happened in the Black Israelite um, movement mm-hmm. since the debate and how they were reacting to some of the points that he brought up. So now let's play the clip with a little more context uh, from James, White, James White's YouTube channel. And I'm, oh boy, am I going to get in trouble for this. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Uh in many churches of whatever ethnic mix, there okay, is right an there. anti- Notice what he says. In whatever ethnic mix. Yes. Whatever ethnic mix. He said in many churches, many churches. of whatever ethnic mix. To me, that says that in white churches, you don't find this problem. But that's not true. In white churches, you do find things that are theo- theologically off kilter. So his initial assertion is irritating to me that it's like in many okay. churches of whatever ethnic mix. And we, we, we talked about this. Like, yeah. I'm just like, no, that's not fair. It's not fair to say that if I go down the street to, you know, whatever church that's all white, I'm, so I should be guaranteed to find sound theology. And my rejoinder to that is I think that that is a fair point, that if he was going to state it, more accurately, he he might have said something like, all churches struggle with error. We could do better in all of our churches across the races, across ethnicities, to better educate our people in theology and apologetics and mm-hmm. church history. That would have been a better way of saying it. But I think that he is... Also highlighting, and this is, was my question to you, is my, kind of my second thought about it, is that the major apologetics ministries that are out there are founded mostly by white people. I mean, there's a couple of exceptions of, of ministries, but they're up and coming. But Ravi Zacharias would be the great exception. He's, uh, what do you call it, uh, Southern Asia? Is that what mm. it, Indians are? Uh, so he's an Indian, he's from India, but most of the ministries are founded by white people. Stand to reason, um, James White's ministry, reasons to believe. I mean, 
the the old guard, as we might call them. There's a lot of white people. Mm -hmm. And you might make the case, I'm not saying this is a great argument, but you might make the case that apologetics is a little bit more in the white church than in more ethnic churches. But it was still- But does that mean that just because we have not started an apologetics ministry that we are not- Involved in apologetics. I think that's a fair I, point. I'm I, just trying to think of like what the potential. I don't know. Could I feel be. like the let's continue to give him the benefit of the doubt when he made a comment like that. I'm like, you know, the benefit of the doubt kind of runs out there. Okay. Like, I, I just I feel like you're, you're what he's saying is that you're you're guaranteed to find sound theology in white church and not sound theology in black church. Okay. To me, that's a bit of a problem. Like. No, there there are doctrinal issues in a lot of churches unless they go all the way back and and look at historic Christianity. Okay. But that's just my heart position. Like that's just how kind of where I'm okay. what I'm seeing. All right. Well, let's keep going. I think it's a fair point. I I I generally I agree with you. I'm just trying to put forth like what I think are the best rebuttals. So, yeah. All right, let's keep Can going. Rewind it or play nah, let's go just play intellectualism an anti-church historyism there is an anti-theologyism there is a um an anti uh, See, even bible to say anti like that means that we are just taking a hard stand against it like i'm anti this it's not that i maybe don't know or haven't been no but i'm anti like i think that his wording says a lot have you never been in a church because this is definitely true in my experience that when i started first going to seminary i'd have people to pull me to the side to say if you go to seminary you're gonna lose your faith there was a definite anti-intellectual belief in from christians of not just ignorance but hostile toward learning hostile toward church history. We don't need to know that. We don't need to know creeds because those are just ancient ideas from dead white people. We we have the gospel and the Bible, and that's all we need for today. I got that all through my seminary years. Strong anti-intellectualism. I, I, I could not like disagree more. Like I feel like I'm thinking of, of my friend's church. Her grandfather is the one who started the church and he has a PhD and he went and like, it's a black it, church. It's a black church yeah. in Compton and was definitely like, no, we, this is who we are. This is what we do. And this Great is why. Example. So right. I don't, you're not buying that. No, I'm Cause, not. Cause in, it, well, this is great. This is a great conversation. Cause in my experience at my white church, man, there was strong anti-intellectual bias in in my experience of uh you know being concerned that learning too much history learning too much books book learning was somehow against faith and that heart knowledge was more valuable than head knowledge and what i really just needed was a better prayer life and that seminary was not a path learning was not a path to being a deeper Christian. And I definitely experienced that. Yeah, so yeah. interesting. Okay, let's keep going. Bible translation, Bible transmissionism, and it, it's seen in the fact that it's almost never addressed, almost never talked about. Um, but it's especially true in black churches. 
it's just a reality. Um, and I love the, that I, he just said it's just a reality. This is the exact same thing that we talk about with people who who promote critical race theory. They just put things out. It's, it's just a reality. This is just the truth. It's just how it is. It, it, and I'm like, well, who really? Like, show me your receipts. Like, let me see your research on this. Because you, the same way that I would come hard for somebody who would promote that, uh, promote something like that in critical race theory, I'm going to go hard for him. Like, it's just reality. That's, he can take two steps. I'm, I am. Sorry. Yeah, my, my passion wasn't so much when we were discussing this yesterday. But today, I am like, you know what? No, he can have several seats. Because he is, he's speaking as if the white church is just better than the black church. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. Idea of sound doctrine, church history. There are so few where there is an emphasis. There are, they're out there. Thanks be for them. But they will be the first ones to tell you that they are in the minority and it's a constant battle for them to try to communicate to their people the necessity of knowing these things and getting over all the social, cultural stuff and focusing upon the truth. And cults, it's been said, I don't know who came up with this first. I certainly didn't come up with it. <clears throat> but it's a true statement. Cults are the unpaid debts of the church, when the church will not be balanced, when the church will not um, will not do what is necessary to disciple and ground and grow the saints, the cults become the unpaid debt of the church. And when I heard this man saying these things, you know, where were you? Well, I've, I've been around, but I'm nobody. There were lots okay, of people. Okay, that's no, enough. I haven't said anything. So... I think that that last point I wanted to have him play uh, about the cults, the cults being the unpaid debts of the lack of discipleship, theology, and apologetics education. I actually don't disagree with that, but I think that that's just as big of a problem in white churches as it is in— That's my whole point. In, in any other church, because our people get siphoned off by different errors. Our, our people get siphoned off by all manner of errors. And so does the black church. So, I mean, I think the black church has just as big of a problem as, as white churches with getting siphoned off by Jehovah's Witnesses mm -hmm. and the Mormon church. If, if you see that as being a deviation from the historic Christian faith. I mean, these are movements of people that try to recruit from historical evangelical Protestant churches. So we have to know our faith. We have to live our faith. And we have to teach our faith. We have to do all of those things to really know what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, now, I'm all for free will. People can change positions. People can, can join other movements, change their mind, change religions. That's okay. I'm not into forced conversion or co coercion. But we have to do enough to really educate our people. Mm -hmm. And that is a problem, I think, across the board. Yes. Yeah, so I just put a, a, a question in the comments on YouTube asking how many people saw, it was a, to Annette specifically, but I mean, it's to everyone, how many people saw the show we did, I believe we were talking with uh, Mike Mike, Mike Gurney, <laughs> about seminary 
and how many pastors and church leaders are not going to seminary and the decline in seminary. I think that the problem with theology and doctrine is a a theology issue. It's about people not going to seminary. It's not because I'm black. Yeah. I think this is good discussion because I think that all churches need to do better in their theology and apologetics education in the local church. And we need to be being grounded because we don't want to drift mm-hmm. into error. Um, but at the same time, going back to our original tweet, Dr. Eric Mason, if you can put that back up there for a second, uh, going to his final tweet there of in the string is, this is racist. Well, after listening to it in context, would you say that Dr. James White is racist? Or would you just... I would be, I'd be leery to call him a racist. I would say that he holds very unfortunate bias in his heart about the black church. About black churches. Yeah. And ethnic churches in general. Ethnic churches in general. And I would say that he should probably pray about that and check that because that's unfortunate. And that only promotes division within the church and creates more room for people who hold critical race theory to step right on in and say, see, this is why you shouldn't be a part of that white church. See, this is how white Christians are. Tell me more about that. And it, it could be his comments could be construed to me as angry or attacking the black church and black people in general. We don't do this. We don't do that. We we don't care about education. We don't care about church history. We blah, blah, blah. It's all, like there's to me, it just felt like arrows. And I'm just like, no, that's really not it at all. It, it really isn't. You're missing some some other points. Like you've gone all the way to Z, but you've missed out on like LMNOP. You've really skipped some things. And now you're making this assertion about the black church and people who hold to a critical race theory view that would say that whiteness should be decentered, de- de- that the white thought is the thought that is captivating the American culture and the white thought is what's right. He asserts that he is right. It is, it's just fact. It's everywhere. That's reality. That is the division and divisiveness that continues to leave room in the, in, in the spirit realm and in the church, the physical church for people to come in and be like, yeah, you don't need that. Why don't you come on and join my side? He's, he's wrong. I'm sorry. And Eric Mason calling him a racist is wrong too. Like if he, if Eric Mason really felt like this man was acting with racist views, should have went to him and pulled him aside and been like, Hey, you know, you my brother, right? Like, can we, can, let's sit down and let's talk about this. Can we have some cornflakes together? Like, let's really talk this out. But instead he went for his throat. And so now it's just attack on attack. Yeah. So the advice from us would be, hey, pastors everywhere, all churches, wherever you be, shore up. Humble, sit down, like literally be humble in your approach. And don't think that just because you, you see something as an error in one church, your public speaking about it will not be offensive. Like really think about like, what if I said all white, you know, all white churches don't really care about anything that black people do. That's just reality. White church don't care about anything ethnic or of, of ethnic relation. That's that's reality. You see it in their worship. Like that would be so offensive. And I would never say that 
But if I did, if someone did, that would be so like heartbreaking and not true of the entire experience. What I feel like James White is doing is making an like a comment about every black church or every church that has ethnic and minority leadership. Well, he didn't say every. He He said nearly every. Or many or something. Yeah. But yeah, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. More than more than, you know. 75%, I would say. Well, I would say, I think my takeaway from all of this is all churches need to do better to shore up their education programs. Yes. And we-, we need to shore up our love. Like, man, James White, there's... And me, Eric Mason. Well, I'm not even at Eric Mason yet. <laughs> but James White, I feel like that, it didn't come in love. And then Eric Mason turned around and shot him. And yeah. it's like, we can't continue to kill ourselves. Okay. We shoot each other. Hell, heck, I don't need, sorry about that, y'all. <laughs> I'm a work in progress. I don't need the world to to shoot me because we're shooting each other. How do we do better about that? That's a great point. Oh, man. Our friend Cynthia says, you're so right, Monique. Uh, it's, we hope that uh, this this will help some people to have this conversation and then, you know, just kind of talking it through. And, and I think you raised some really, really thoughtful points. And so I I like one of the things that I'm just going on now. One of the things we did in our video about, um, 23 ways that what's it called that we messed up talking about race and the 14 (laughs) ways that you can do it better. Humility was the common thread. The times when we were prideful, the times when I know more than you and you know more than me, it would end up in a clash. But the times when we submitted humbly and said, you know what, maybe there's more that I can learn about that. Maybe Eric Mason should have said, "Mm, he calling out all the black churches. Let me see if he's right. Humble yourself. Yeah. Humble yourself. Maybe James White should have said, I don't know, maybe this this is what I see. How can you humble yourself? And and approach this conversation because otherwise it's just going to be shooting arrows. Yeah. And we are shooting each other. That's for sure. All right, my friends, the clock on the wall says it is time for us to wrap up. And we want to encourage everyone to check out the show notes for past episodes. Uh, You can go to theologymom.com slash all the things. I'm usually getting those posted around Wednesday or Thursday each week. Um, When I, some night when I get home from work, uh, we are also on Instagram now, so go check us out at ATT Livestream on Instagram. If you are on the gram, you want to follow us. I don't know, what are we up to, like 12 followers now? Maybe. <laughs> That's probably more than what I got on Twitter. So, hey. <laughs> uh, don't forget to uh, check out our family's clothing store and see what's happening there. Do you still have our design of the week? Let's see if we have that. What is our design of the week? Jesus came to take away your sins, not your mind. Yes, people, don't lose your mind. (laughs) Jesus wants to redeem your mind, help you transform your mind. So let's talk about that. That's a good good saying. Hey, before we go, let's talk about next week real quick. Oh, next week's the big week. Yes, yes. We have the big guest. Don't miss it. Yes, we have... The lovely and gracious Natasha Crane joining us on our humble show. So we do hope that you will all 
tune in for that. She's a author of multiple books. She just finished another book and um, she's coming onto the show to talk to us about putting apologetics into your parenting. Yes. How do you integrate it into your everyday life in sort of an organic way to be able to have strategic conversations with your kids? Uh, Her first book is called Keeping Kids on God's Side or something like that. Bob's magically pulling it up on Amazon as we speak. There we go. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's all right. You're only one man with three buttons and so little time. But there it is. So Natasha Crane is going to be on our show next week. So be sure to tune in for that. And we can have some good engagement about parenting and apologetics. Yes. And invite your friends to tune in who are parents and wondering how they can engage their their kids more yeah. with the historically Christian worldview. Uh, be sure to share the show. It's another great way you can help to support us and connect with us on social media. Like the show, share the show, follow us. Um, oh, Hannah, yes. Mom and the real Monique D. What? Krista has, has some thoughts on that. Um, Hannah says, y'all did great. Thank you very much. Um, could you do a show that addresses why there are so many English versions of the Bible? Other languages don't have near the number of translations. I'm telling you, my girl got some theories. <laughs> I think I have a really bad recording of a talk on my channel. I'm trying to get a, uh, I need a venue where I can come do my uh, workshop on Bible translation so I can get a better recording. So if anyone wants to give me a venue, I would welcome that. But uh, yeah, we can talk about that sometime. And You got it, Annette. You got it. Yes. Oh, Annette's asking for prayer yes. for her son. Yep. Who's having surgery. Definitely. On Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. So we got that covered. Yes. All right, All right, everybody. Everyone, we love you. We thank you for your support. And be sure to share the show, share the show, share the show. Catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And follow me on Twitter, The Real Monique D. Yes. And on YouTube. So we love you guys. Thank you so much. And we will see you next week. Next week, Natasha Crane. Bye bye.